0: So when you come into Pushkin House, the first thing you might notice is a circular, a small porthole opposite you between the two columns. And that is the video projection, Icebreaker Dreaming, that gives the title to the exhibition. And it's the same video that was projected on the same film that was projected on the side of Pushkin House at the opening, but at a completely different scale, so it gives you a very different feeling. Um, and it, it does feel a bit like a porthole, I think. So that film is, um, has some sound, a touch of sound when the ice breaks, and it's made up of footage of icebreakers in the Arctic. Found footage. I have been in correspondence with an icebreaker captain who very kindly said that I could use his YouTube video that he's been shooting. He's been shooting from the bridge of his icebreaker. So I used his footage and in a sense that connects us very directly with, what, with his journey um, and uh, so I'm very grateful and it's, it's wonderful to have that footage there.
1: Hello, I'm Yelena Zaitsova, a curator of the exhibition Icebreaker Dreaming at Pushkin House and I'm talking to Ruth McLennan, the artist. Why did you bring an icebreaker to central London? What was the idea behind it?
0: I wanted to connect what's going on in the Arctic with London, with the city. You know, the, the Arctic is very far away from here, but what's going on there affects us all and what's going on there is happening in large part because of the lives that we live here. So the film that we projected on the side of Pushkin House on Bloomsbury Square is called Icebreaker Dreaming. And it is um, made up of found footage of Arctic icebreakers, a nuclear icebreaker sailing, breaking a passage through the Arctic.
1: Yes, an icebreaker for you is like a phantom. and it is a metaphor.
0: Yes, well, in a, in a way, an icebreaker is, a, is, is both a metaphor and a very big, solid, brute object. So I was alerted to, or started noticing icebreakers, probably around about 2012, or you know, around about that time, when um, I noticed in the Russian press that they were talking about the, the booming um, icebreaker construction um, in in Russia, so they are building bigger and bigger um, and high, more high-tech nuclear icebreakers, um, and uh, and it seemed to me, you know, rather um, quite sort of strange at the time when there's less and less ice. You know, at the same time, one's hearing about polar ice melt and you're reading and hearing about the kind of heroic building of big icebreakers in the Arctic. So that. That sort of triggered something for me and I thought more more about icebreakers and what that might mean. Yes, and I think it is
1: a metaphor that shows the, how, how deeply we're all entangled in this very complex relationship with nature, with melted ice, because we, we use the energy, we use electrical energy, we use uh, energy that's actually powered by, uh, by fossil fuel. And uh, even to um, basically, practically, to make this projection on the wall, we should put a generator on the on, in, near the gardens, the Bloomsbury Gardens, and this generator actually um, produced lots of waste that
0: put its impact into melting ice. I did have an idea at the beginning. I really wanted to have a cycle-powered projector. We talked about yes, a cycle-powered projector, and I have seen a cycle-powered projector, but we realized that in order to have uh, an image on this dark ball of Pushkin House in central London where there's so much ambient light from street lights mm-hmm. and so on, it wouldn't work with a bicycle-generated projector. There wouldn't, it wouldn't be a powerful enough light
1: Uh, Bruno Latour, uh, in his recent book, he, he was writing that uh, contemplating the um, l- landscape, written, uh, landscape by Caspar David Friedrich, he was. C- so, uh, saying that actually we will never ever be able to contemplate just landscape anymore because whenever we look at the beautiful landscape in real in reality we see either airplane uh, crossing the sky and we know what this airplane is doing to to the skies or or we see basically we see this uh, uh, this uh, all traces of uh, human activity that makes geological uh, uh, shifts on our planet. And, and this turns us to the photographs that we show uh, on your exhibition upstairs, the photographs of beautiful landscapes, but each lands, each photograph consists some traces of human activities in, in it.
0: Yes, yeah, so um, Bruno Latour in that uh, really um, you know, brings up that, that sense of you know the Anthropocene, that where the geological traces of humans are remain, um, and uh, there are also critiques of that. The idea that you're putting anthropos, you know, humans again at the centre, and that's part of the problem. It's like that we're constantly thinking of ourselves at the centre of nature, and or uh, or outside of nature, looking on. <laughs> With the photographs, the largest photograph in the exhibition, which in a sense I think of as a, as a kind of centrepiece of the photographs, is tundra burning, and it's a photograph I took out the window from a bus on my way to the village where I made the film Cloudberries, which is downstairs. So the photograph refers directly to the opening shot of the film, but it's frozen. You see the smoke all the way across the top of the photograph and the sunlight coming through the smoke and reflecting on the little lakes, little ponds. And much of the photograph is kind of out of focus because I'm on a bus, Um, but some of it is in focus. But this dark, it's quite a dark photograph. This photograph somehow... I think draws the viewer into that moment, that sense of like a glimpse out the window of what's happening. And we've been hearing about forest fires all over the the world, in Australia, in California. Um, And when I was in the Arctic shooting these works, the tundra was burning and had been burning all across um, Scandinavia and Russia. And it carried on burning for, for days and days, and it only stopped when the rain finally came.
1: And many, many of those photographs are, are in the room upstairs relate to the uh, film Cloud Berries that you made specially for this exhibition. They were shot in the little village in Russia called Triberka that became quite uh, famous recently. Because of the film *Levafan* um, that was shown on wide screens uh, all around the world, uh, and you were saying that the changes that were caused by that film uh, wasn't mm-hmm. actually good for the locals, and you came there to see to see to the life of community of this village.
0: I went to this village. Um Partly, you know, opportunities occur. I met an anthropologist who's been going there for many years, and she was travelling there, uh, and she invited me to come along. Now, I was interested in going to the northern sea route, to somewhere along the northern sea route, which is what icebreakers are meant to be opening up. I I had been to other villages uh, in the Russian Arctic from my film Call of North, Uh, for example so this is kind of pursuing continuing my interest in the place of the far north in the Russian imagination if you like you know sort of circumstance that I ended up in this particular place but you find that every place that may seem random has got has got its histories and has you know different kinds of uh, pressures and um, you know and this tiny village this small former fishing village you know, which used to have a fish factory, a fish processing plant, and uh, ship repair. Um, ships would be repaired there, and uh, you know. And over time, like other places in the Arctic, over time the, the ship building or the ship repairs get moved to Murmansk or go to bigger ports. The fish factory, fish processing plant, closes down because things are done on a bigger scale elsewhere. So, what, what I'm interested in, and what I was really interested in, and have been interested in for some time, is how do the big sort of geopolitical transformations in the Arctic, how, do they, how are they experienced in a concrete way by people? How do people who are actually living there, who are experts in their own environment, who, who know how that they're. They know how the place works. They know the season. They know you know, where to find the maroshka, where to find cloudberries, where to find mushrooms. They're not going to tell me as an incomer where to find these things. So I wanted to make a film where we listen to the people who live there, who the inhabitants, so the human inhabitants, but also the sounds of birds. There are a lot of birds. There's a there 's a moment in the film where you hear the birds singing um, there's a kind of um, what is it called like a, a almost like a bird dormitory on this disused pier in the middle of the bay and you just walk i 'm walking past it and you suddenly hear this cacophonous clamor of bird song and you hear wind and you hear um, a rock festival and you hear um, a, a choir so there are all these different sounds which speak almost as much, or speak just as much as the interviews, the conversations that I recorded, which are more like conversations than interviews, really, with inhabitants.
1: And when you go up, uh, up the stairs, uh, you see another projection immediately. You see another film, which is totally different.
0: The film on the landing uh, is called The Messenger. So the piece on the landing is made up of footage that I shot in St. Petersburg and in Kronstadt which draws attention to the kind of military base that is St. Petersburg and it's a historical, I mean it looks at the history of icebreakers so I also use found imagery about the construction of icebreakers from the Yermak, the first icebreaker that was built in Britain in Newcastle on the Tyne River for the Tsar in 1889 and bits of that icebreaker are to be found in one of the photographs downstairs, in the series um, Arctic Polar Museum series of photographs and also in the film in the library called Hero City so there are often references in the works to other works in the exhibition so it kind of, there's there's a sort of a train of association between works, which is quite important. So each work is somehow expanded on by other works in the exhibition, and in a way that was my logic, if you like, one of the logics of the of the exhibition. So associative, of like rather than a, a kind of declarative or telling you one way through, there are many different ways through the exhibition.